You're listening to the Editorial Intelligence special broadcast from the Names Not Numbers Symposium. More information on namesnotnumbers.com. So, what have we learned? For me, uneducated, under-traveled, practically everything, Names Not Numbers is my entire secondary education in capital I, international relations, history, media studies, PP, American studies, and the rest. But how about you? And you, this glorious panel. So, uh, they're not so under-educated as me. Here to discuss what we've learnt, I've got, reading across, Viv Groskop, who, as we've learnt, of course, a journalist, commentator, but also stand-up comedian of some... How long have you been doing it? Several minutes. That was my first gig! (laughs) 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 I first first started reading her in the stand-up, but you're not now... In King's Place, aren't you? You're now an observerette. But I'm more or less, yeah. More or less. less. Freelance, but I mostly work for the Guardian, the Observer. Sharma Pereira, journalist, commentator, playwright, teacher, portfolio, saint, and two living national treasures. You know, there's no other, you know, no other word. They are just just doing it alphabetically. Two living national treasures. Harvey Goldsmith and John Snow. So that's the panel, as David Dimbleby says. What have we learnt? Well, I've learnt that I have a very important shopping list to take care of uh, this week when I go home. Uh, first item is cider. Uh, the second is a carpet, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the third is, is, I think, a new husband, um, who, because my own, probably won't enable me to afford enough of, of the carpets and cider. So I have been on the lookout. Um, and I was really torn between Satish Kumar and the Royal Astronomer. <laughs> and um, I performed a qualitative experiment <laughs> upon myself. Um, overnight, I collected empirical data, and you're the one. <laughs> than that. I, I, um, though I agree it's a toss-up between the two. <laughs> I'll have Satish. Yes. Um, I think what I've learned, uh, it, n- not knowing or having even thought greatly about sustainability, is that what we have yet again, as with every big subject these days, is a smorgasbord of subject areas and ideas and problems Uh, And what we are desperately in need of is a three-course menu uh, so we know how to put all these dishes together to turn them into some sort of solution. And the two words that kept coming up again and again were global 
citizens, global this, global that, and tribal, you know, localization, uh, tribal behaviors, people turning into tribes. And what I couldn't see was what was the filling in the sandwich because, um, you know, with science, you can have CERN, which is this giant brain made up of 500 people signing every paper, and you can have uh, a global intelligentsia because one and one will equal two, whether you're in the UK or in Somaliland or in Azerbaijan. There is a series of checks and balances that ensures that whatever you're doing as, uh, as a group, as a global group, as a global mind, uh, is you are always measuring apples against apples. You are always able to work together because there is a, a, a common purpose, common uh, series of questions, common answers. It's much more difficult uh, if you're talking about politics or the economy or the environment. Um, and that, of course, is so much about what sustainability is looking at these days. Uh, I, so I couldn't quite work out, and I think that's where this conference takes us. What, what I've learned is that we need to be doing more to find uh, not one solution, but possibly a whole series of solutions along with checks and balances that enable us to find uh, global answers to the problems, if that makes sense. But for me, there was a complete um, fracture between these, the, the conversation about localization and tribalization, uh, which to me was sort of effectively swampy, climbing the trees and uh, trying to save a bit of land and globalization and global problems. I don't see where the answer is, and I couldn't see a solution. Um, the only solution that's ever worked here is public shame, and we did look at shame. Um, so maybe there is a, a way of global shame. Um, I don't know. Uh, so it was, it's been a really fantastic weekend. It's really forced me to think about, uh, instead of sitting and moaning, actually saying, okay, if this is what all the experts are saying, and they can't turn it into a meal, um, how do I turn this smorgasbord of, of dishes into a meal? Uh, I'm not sure. Thank you. Harvey? Um, I think my take on, and this is my second time here, um, is that if you get a very eclectic group of people with and sprinkle it with some brilliance and genius and put it in a mind-blowing setting, out of it, you're going to, going to come as a result a really interesting weekend of, of debate, discussion, uh, a lot of fun, lots of food, um, lots of, um, of comment. Um, and I think that my take on um, some of the, the phrases that came out was um, in our discussion on tribalism, which is quite interesting, obviously it came up quite well, was Peter's comment about um, the electric technology community and does that define itself as a tribe? I felt that um, yesterday afternoon's um, session, the two sessions of, of, of the poetry of the soul leading into the quite brilliant discussion between Martin and Mark and of things that I doubt if any of us can actually take in and understand the complexities of what they're dealing with and, and equally what they're proposing and to present it to us in such an eloquent way that we could actually understand it was a stroke of genius and then that run in from the, um, from the soul searching 
Um, so well done, Julia, on that. It was pretty fantastic. And I think with all of these um, conflabs, and I go to quite a few. In fact, I'm off to speak in um, Canada next week. Um, um, they're often inconclusive. So, and if they were conclusive, then you're um, really a, at a product launch. And this certainly <laughs> isn't a product launch. So, and it shouldn't be. So what it's there to do is to really um, provoke the mind, have the opportunity to get a whole consensus of ideas from different people. And of course, the beauty also is to meet new people. And when I came last year, I met a whole raft of new people who I've stayed in touch with and found, you know, just area and spheres of influence that I didn't really know about. And I think that's the key to what these gatherings are. And really just to, to, to prick your brain, which as was said yesterday, is so complex that um, to me, hopefully, we'll never understand it because I dread the thought of what would happen if we did understand the brain completely, um, where it just stimulates you to say, I hated what he said, I love what she said, that idea was fabulous, I want to learn more about this, etc., etc. If that's the result of the weekend, then we've won hands down. And I think, coupled with um, being in this really extraordinary place where somebody says, I don't care what you think, this is what I'm doing, and did it, um, is such an eloquent way, is a stroke of genius. And, and I think we're really blessed by having the environment, because often these conferences are in town um, and then people duck in and duck out of them as they will because they've got a meeting or somebody's, something's happened or whatever. Whereas you really can when you're away, and particularly in this kind of setting, um, can concentrate your mind on what's going on um, is really good. So I've had a great time. You've softened considerably Have I? since Friday. <laughs> 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 Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I have. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. It wasn't called the prisoner for nothing. Where could you go? But we're glad we're here. John. Uh, well, I'd drink to that, actually. I think, um, oddly enough, my weekend was bookended by Harvey and Bicycles. Because um, I sat down at breakfast and was almost immediately assaulted by a tirade from Harvey on what absolute bastards cyclists are and what a <laughs> total pain in the are. And I completed my journey up here cycling behind Harvey on a bicycle. And uh, I thought this was a sight I would never see. And certainly after the breakfast, I, I thought it was, was absolutely out of the question. But in, in, in between... In between, I also saw um, the bicycle as a very fascinating um, object and the mass uh, utilization of the bicycle and the growth of the utilization of the bicycle is a very useful tool through which to understand government because, as we discussed, and, and it was something I'd not really thought about, uh, for very different reasons, loads and loads of people are taking up bicycling all over the country and, in fact, all, all over Europe. And... Um, and nobody's responding to it in a governing kind of a way. And then you think, well, what could they do? 
course, they could pass laws or they could, they could do all sorts of things top down. And then you realize that actually it's bottom up that will create some movement in this because there will come a moment when the mass of bicycles is too much to handle. It's, it's, it's exponentially, it's getting out of control. And so government will be forced somehow to do something about it, make provision, perhaps. And then I found myself caught up in a completely different sort of mass where I, I, I found myself with two scientists of such erudition that I thought I would get completely lost. But instead, I only got lost within the folded protein. <laughs> um, and um, I even begin to understand the folding protein, and I'm a bit worried about its involvement with David Davis. Um, the thought that David's computer is being used to fold proteins on a, on a nightly basis uh, worries me a lot. Uh, but then David Davis intrigues me as well because um, he's a remarkably uncompartmentalizable MP. And, and that I'm pleased to have learnt because I didn't know there were any. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, you think of them as a kind of mass. And, and there, <laughs> of course, mass is the core of our entire experience here. But uh, I also want to mention a couple of other people that I met on the journey. And I, I want to mention two-year-old Billy. I felt that uh, Nicola's presentation was one of the most extraordinary collisions I've, I've really ever experienced because she threw something at us from a tap-dancing wooden plank about which none of us would ever want to have to speak, the death of a child. And in doing so, she kind of blew out our reservations and doubts about what we could discuss and laid us bare for this extraordinary discussion about science. Um, we weren't resistant at all. These two guys had us eating out of their hands. Um, and it, it was a very, very accessible experience. And for me, unfortunately, I have to confess, I, I found it a great high spot and something that I, will, I feel very privileged to have been anywhere near. But I take away one other thing, and that is that we also concluded quite often that in terms of Britain, class is still an absolutely enormous roadblock to our sorting anything out. Much, much bigger than anybody recognizes. Um, and I found um, uh, Sarah's presentation about the American dream a fantastic voyage. I mean, a quite outrageous helter-skelter <laughs> through something which I've so often talked about and referred to without ever really thinking about. Um, you know, Reagan conjured it, all sorts of people have played with it, but nobody's actually talked about where it came from. And it was a great, a great experience um, and another one that I will take away and be provoked to think more about. I'm, what an interesting piece swimming clearly must be. Thank you. Well, I got, a, as usual, an enormous amount out of it. You see, the, 
the, um, uh, the great men of science are making their escape before, before anything gets a little untidy, or as they say in the song, a little unnecessary. Um, I learnt an enormous amount. It was wonderful. The sight of people of high degree on very small bicycles was completely wonderful. The sight of John really enjoying himself, interviewing, interviewing two people of greatness rather than routine politicians. And I'm not going to ask you any more about how you feel about those routine politicians that you have to plough through. For me, there were a lot of completely wonderful things, but the highlight was carpet. Um, and, and you know, you have to acknowledge your own level of engagement, so to speak. Um, and carpet in the sense, I've held a torch for carpet through, Not too close, through the laminate years. And hearing... And this, you know, there's a strong aesthetic and moral undertow to, to this. It's called bitumen. It's, called, it's all that stuff, all the idea that it is revealed at a stroke that that idea, st starting in the chattering classes, working its way down from N1 to, you know, a house near us, um, a house near me, um, is actually an aesthetic falsehood. The idea that, you know, let the sun shine in, let's have clean, hard floors, yeah. is actually a falsehood. Yeah. Carpet, one's heart goes out of carpet naturally, <laughs> uh, that carpet is better for us. And if you can have recyclable carpet, how much better yet? Isn't that an interesting thought? Because it's an, an aesthetic justifying a worldview which is based on a scientific falsehood. Think about that. <laughs> anyway, um, um, all completely joyous. Any other particular moments that anybody really flashed on? I think what was, for me, what was really um, interesting was every single discussion, A, provoked a reaction from the audience, which is absolutely a sign of, of, of a great discussion, because often you know, people speak and then you're literally going, come on, ask me a question or I'm going to feel really embarrassed and so on yeah. and so forth. So each, each discussion in turn provoked um, equivalent number of, of, of questions, which was really good. And I think that, <clears throat> I think the, the mix of participation um, also uh, proved itself. So it's, it's, quite, it's quite hard to think how you can better it, which is really the learning point of, for us, what we're looking for. Um, um, although, obviously, it's, it's each time when you get a different mixture of people, um, of participants, then that in itself sets the tone for what's going on. And I think you should all give yourselves a round of applause because you're a brilliant set of participants which have all interacted really well. There hasn't been any polarisation of kind of the haves and the have-nots. Everybody's mixed in, everybody's joined in the discussions, and I think that's really good. So I should give you, all of you a round of applause for doing good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, obviously, this is... A 
I understand that everyone, whether they're on the stage, whether they've got a business card so full they need three different business cards to describe everything they do and who they are, is on some level insecure, not sure, doesn't feel they can say it. I don't know a single speaker that wasn't nervous. I've had at least three people come up to me afterwards and say, oh, you didn't mind I said that, did you? You know, like, what, is it okay to be outspoken? And that interests me because if this group of largely accomplished, you know, ostensibly confident people feel that, what must it be like for everyone else? That, for me, is the big question, which is, uh, you know, I'm not particularly motivated to change the world in a TED-like way with names, not numbers, frankly. But I would be interested if we could somehow lead and inspire that trend for saying every single person needs encouragement to express themselves freely without the risk of someone going, you're wrong, you're bad, or you're going to be excluded as a result. So I'm, let's hear it for shyness because it never gets a look in. <laughs> <laughs> and people who've got first Cambridge firsts in Russian. Well, I know, I'm terribly insecure about this. It somehow get, it really gets to me. But there you are. <laughs> now, um, you've all been on a journey, an absolute, a metaphorical journey. You're better now. Um, <laughs> um, so, some golden moments in not more than 140 characters. William Hague has changed his policy on rural post offices. That's an, in, an inside learning, isn't it? It's an insider learning, that thing. The terror of important politicians, the powerlessness of important politicians. I love it. It's the, it's the whimsical, you know, thick-of-it view. What if it is true? What would, it's so terrifying if it was actually true. Another. Stefan. Uh, the, the two... Distinguished gentlemen of the Enlightenment yesterday proving that facts and truth and evidence do exist and do matter. Thank you. And it, wasn't it glorious that precisely because what they do is so complicated, so real, so important, that I am... Well, I like, I liked, you know, belt and braces. That they could describe it in wonderfully lucid plain English. You know, not at all like marketing speak or charity speak or PC speak or any of those speaks. It wasn't a speak. Uh, I, I would like to, to stand up for revering the two gentlemen of the Enlightenment because I think that making that kind of expertise accessible to somebody like me who doesn't understand physics at all is, is absolutely amazing. But my, my golden moment was the two of them uh, deprecating their own subjects to, no, no, yours is the more difficult subject. No, 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 no. yours is the harder subject. I absolutely love that. <laughs> Take the applause on his own. He had to be like, no, no, no. It's brilliant. Four boxes of tea, and the French wouldn't drink any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I got a, a little personal golden moment from um, Sarah's talk about um, about Gatsby, and I confirmed it later. My grandmother's parted love indirectly. Features in Gatsby. Isn't that a marvellous thing? And, she, and Sarah's confirmed that this vague idea is a truth. The biology of it has been evident 
<laughs> no. No. Yes. No. And the FT, £2.50, does it every time. The mad diversity of life. Um, Louis McNeese has a great line in a poem, which is, world is more of it than we think, incorrigibly plural. And I love that, and it's very much about here. And so I'd like to share with you the fact that Habby Schwartz's mother writes for Parrot Monthly. <laughs> what? Yeah, I just want to read a real tweet um, on the uh, E-I-N-N-N hashtag, uh, which has been quite enjoyable this, this weekend. Um, if there was a conference so enthralling that nobody there wanted to break away to tweet about it, how would we know? <laughs> <laughs> this is from, from Andrew Hill, who's not present. Two more tweets. <laughs> the children in Greece who are being put into orphanages because their parents can't afford to feed them. No. Sorry, it's really low. <laughs> <laughs> We can't, we can't have constant froth. Um, uh, I, I try, but... Um, the, the, juxtaposing the fact that Google have connected up 300 gangsters with the fact that um, they're stealing my data, and I wonder if those 300 <laughs> gangsters are on their board. <laughs> in the workshop, this will be familiar to those who already heard me say it, but it, it reminds me, I think Tolstoy had it right in War and Peace. It's all about the legitimate peculiarities of each person. On which note, I have to uh, end by observing, somebody was talking earlier about um, neuroscience and its ability to penetrate our brains and get right inside there. Well, neuroscience first, Google second. They'll be in there. <laughs> so many thanks for David for warning us. So thanks, brilliant panellists. Thanks, brilliant, shy, reformedly shy audience. Um, um, thank you, Mum. <laughs> <laughs>